The world of marketing is ever-changing and can be confusing, frustrating, and outright exhausting. Welcome to Unbottled, the marketing podcast where experts share their experiences, stories, and best practices on online and internet marketing. Featuring Steve Wiedemann, former marketer for Disney, Skechers, and other well-known brands. Break through the hype with real marketing tips from industry leaders. This is Unbottleneck. Hello and welcome to another episode of Unbottleneck, the podcast where we solve digital marketing problems. And today we have an incredible surprise for you. We have Brian Clayton, a CEO and entrepreneur. And we're going to be talking shop today about entrepreneurship and business growth, specifically unbottlenecking the challenges of starting your own business and using the internet as a tool to achieve your goals. Um, so Brian actually has this incredible background. He's the CEO and founder of GreenPal. You've probably heard of him. It's an online marketplace that connects homeowners with lawn care professionals. GreenPal has been called the Uber for lawn care and uh, by Entrepreneur Magazine has been seen over 100,000 active users completing thousands of transactions per day now. Before starting GreenPal, Brian Clayton founded Peachtree Inc., one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, growing to over $10 million a year in annual revenue before it was acquired by Lusa Holdings in 2013. His interests and expertise are related to entrepreneurialism, which we'll be talking about today, small business growth, marketing especially, one of my favorite things to talk about, and bootstrapping businesses from zero revenue to profitability and exits. Brian, thank you so much for hanging out with us today, and welcome to our show. Hey, great to be here, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Just, just before we started, we were talking about Tennessee, and I have to say, if, if anyone hasn't been there and you get a chance to go out and check out this this tiny little hidden town called uh, um, Pigeon Forge, it's if you especially have kids, there's so many fun, cool things to do. It's like uh, it's like the the Anaheim or or Orange County of uh, of the state with all these little theme parks and um, cool tourist attractions and these innovative miniature golf places. It was so much fun and. You get out there it's super cool and you're you're and from nashville right now that's right, right. yeah i'm from nashville and uh we appreciate the plug yeah send as yeah. many folks down here as you can <laughs> absolutely <laughs> and i hear something about nashville being like the party capital of the world or something is that right uh, yeah nashville in the last 10 15 years has become the bachelorette capital of probably the world and so uh it's a crazy weekend uh if you, if you come here and just stay on broadway uh, I don't get down there much, uh, but but uh, yeah, we, we have we have a very unique product here in terms of, of tourism. There's really nothing like it in the world. That's amazing. Yeah, one day I'm gonna have to get out there and do more of the the, the tours that are available to see all the uh, incredible attractions. Awesome. So I got a few questions ready for you. We put Let's some things it. together just because we want to make sure that uh, you know we hit all the things that we know the listeners are gonna want to hear. Uh, we definitely want to hear about your journey from being a high school kid mowing lawns, and I, I was there, I did that too, um, to where you are today as CEO of GreenPal. Can you walk us through the highlights? Yeah, yeah. So uh, 20, 22 years of, of entrepreneurship, two businesses uh, from scratch, uh, both to over eight figures. The, the first thing I started doing was mowing yards in high school. I was actually forced into the lawn mowing business by my father. He said, get off your ass. You've got a gig. Uh, no, you're going to go mow the neighbor's yard. And uh, how, how old were you? I was probably like 15. And uh, okay. he, he rudely interrupted me playing Super Mario Kart and uh, made me go mow the neighbor's yard. We were not living in a de democratic household. Uh, so it was, a, it was a direct order. And uh, yeah. I went and mowed the neighbor's yard and made like 20 bucks and 
something about that just uh, really, really kind of struck me. I thought, wow, I can just right. do this and make money and not have to not have to want anything or need anything. This is amazing. And so I just kind of, the first thing I did after that was I went to my old school uh, desktop computer and, uh, and started making up flyers and passed out a bunch of flyers around the neighborhood. That first summer, I think I had like 10 or 15 customers and, and mm. really kind of saw the promise. I thought, I was like, this is awesome. I'm just going to keep doing this. And, uh, and I just kept with that little lawn mowing business all through high school and then all through college. And you enjoyed it, right? That was one of the tricks I, I hear in business that you, you have the most success when you do something you really enjoy. And, you know, for me, when I was that age, I was throwing newspapers and I loved it. It was fun. It was cool to meet some of the neighbors and, you know, to, to be up earlier before everyone else is. And I just, I don't know, I, I had a lot of passion in it. And so for you, it was, that was a fun thing. You're like, I could, I could see myself doing this or being part of this kind of business forever. I saw, yeah, I saw it as my lane in life almost to kind of maybe even just kind of make something of myself. You know, I didn't, wasn't particularly talented at much anything else. Uh, but I saw that if I worked my butt off in, in business that I could actually build something from scratch. And by the time I graduated college, I had like 10 or 15 employees and, and I thought, well, wow. you know, <laughs> I can't, I can't go get a job now. I got to stick with this, this business. And, and people really are depending on me. Yeah, yeah I didn't, got, like, did, yeah, it's didn't really want to be a lawn guy my whole life, but I made a little business plan and over a 15-year period of time, ended up building one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, uh, eventually getting it over like 150 employees. And we were doing uh, around $10 million a year in revenue before it was acquired. That's incredible. Yeah, in 2013. Sold the business 2013 and uh, retired after that. So I was able to retire at the age of 32 and didn't have to work anymore, which was nice, but I got bored and, and I thought, well, what now, you know, what am I going to do now? And I thought, well, yeah, entrepreneurs you know, last, what about a week in retirement before yeah. you're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta do something. I gotta make something. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was probably six months. I, it, it hit me. I was like sitting on a beach in Costa Rica and, uh, and the worst problem I had faced that entire week was the bar ran out of my favorite type of tequila. And I thought, <laughs> I thought uh, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm cut out to deal with with bigger challenges in life than this. So I thought, yeah. well, what, well, what now? You know, what am I going to do now? And I thought, uh, well, that was really hard. That landscaping company. I don't want to do that again. Uh, I'm going to do something right. easy now. I'm going to start a software business. And boy, I didn't know okay. what I didn't know. <laughs> so I had the idea for for GreenPal, which would be like the Uber for lawn mowing. And uh, so so I really believe that you know you should be able to push a button. And, and get this chore done that I spent the last 15 years mm-hmm. of my life in. And and uh, I thought this would be easy. You know, we'll just build the software. We'll release it. We'll be off and right. going. In a couple of years, we'll, we'll have it. We'll be nationwide. And uh, quickly was confronted. And you go from reality. being an entrepreneur to a software developer. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, so many of my peers. I mean, I, I look at some of the peers who move from services to software uh, very few of them have any hair left. I don't. I don't it's know how you still have hair. Very, going through very that. challenging. Very <laughs> challenging. It's. I had to kind of reinvent myself as a as a as a founder uh, to go from like a blue collar entrepreneur to a to a tech startup entrepreneur. And that, that took like three yeah. years. I had to teach myself how to write software, and and my co-founders did as well. And and uh, we had to teach ourselves how to how to invent a product, how to design how to design a product people wanted to use. And that took a long time, and it was a very slow process in their early days, but we just stuck it out. We kept uh, celebrating the small wins and here we are 10 years in, we're like a nine year overnight success. And now we have 300,000 people using the app every day to, to get this chore done mm-hmm. and uh, doing over 20 million a year in revenue in this business. So I love that. Really- I love watching when a, when a business um, does so well 
on its own that that organic becomes like the the last thought like organic traffic because people people share word of mouth and uh, when people are happy they they tell others what do you use oh, this is what I use and before you know it you've you've got 300,000 customers not not because they're performing Google searches but because you're doing something um, that works you know and uh, I, I have a few clients like that that started from literally zero. And I look back, I'm like, how's organic doing? Like, oh, it's okay. But really our, our focus is our, our brand, our product, our process, and just being the best at what we do. And you're like, yeah. that mindset is is so completely different than some of the, the personal injury attorneys in the world whose <laughs> yeah. only focus is to be number one in Google. You know? Yeah, yeah, that, that is funny. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, sadly, sometimes that, that strategy can work, but most of the time it doesn't. And you have to build something that people love to use, that people want to use, that, that they'll keep coming back to use. You really have to figure that out. You have, you have to really nail it and then scale it. And and that was a lesson we learned in the, in the early days. And, and we also took a path that is not really common in, in tech startup world. We decided to self-fund the business off of its own revenues. A lot of times, you know, your tech companies will, the first thing they do is go out and try to raise a bunch of money. And that really never appealed to me as a founder. I didn't really want to go down that path. I really felt like the business kind of had to stand on its own two feet. You just feel like you have have someone to report to or account to. And as an entrepreneur, it's just, you don't want that feeling. You don't want that feeling of owing someone or being accountable to someone. You want to be able to be free. And I get it. I'm with you. Yeah. Same thing here. We don't don't have any funding either. When it works, (laughs) it works great, right? You know, like when you see these guys raise tons of money and at bigger prices and, and, uh, and, and bigger check sizes, it, it's a beautiful thing, but the reality is for most founders, it's a bad bet. And, uh, you know, it's my belief that that venture capital ruins more businesses than it helps create. And, and so you kind of have to really study the failures to, to understand if you want to go down that path. And if you do, you need to know what it means. Yeah. And, and sometimes that means being small for a while yeah. and, and that's okay. Just yeah. go through it. Do the be small for a while if you need to. Yeah. So uh, next question I have for you is digging into some of your guiding principles and inspiration for entrepreneurs. Let's start with this one. Start to look at business as a video game. Can you explain that one to us? Yeah. You know, I grew up playing video games and uh, I don't anymore uh, because I, I, I fear that I would just do nothing but sit around and play. I got a Galaga in here and I play it probably 20 minutes a day. So. Yeah. I think that's healthy, uh, but I would probably like if I if I got one of these latest and like newest consoles, I would probably just be oh, yeah. sitting, sitting around playing video games for seven hours a day. So I don't want to do that. But back when I was in, in you know when I was a teenager, I used to play tons of Nintendo and and uh, looking, looking. You make back, me feel old because I played Atari. I was playing like hey, I had one of those. I had one of those stuff. too. Yeah. <laughs> But I uh, said Mario Kart, and I'm like, I'm really old because Mario Kart was when I was a teenager, and when I was a kid, I was on, you know, the Atari uh, 2900. Yeah, yeah. And, and looking back, it's like, uh, you know, business is kind of like a video game. It, it, it you know, yeah. you you really have to just focus at one level at a time, and yeah. don't get been out of shape about what level eight, nine, and ten look like when you're on levels one, two, and three. And and I think the reality is a lot of new founders they're worried about Bowser when they don't have their first dozen customers yet. And, and you, yeah. know, you don't need to be worried about those sorts of things. You don't need to be worried about necessarily what your brand strategy is and what, what your culture strategy is or what the kind of mm-hmm. office space you, you know, that, that you, you're looking at and, and what, how you're going to, you know, you really, you really just need a dozen customers. And, and I right. think, I think a lot of, a lot of new founders get hung up on that and it's like, just get through level one 
whatever that is, and don't worry about every entrepreneur else. has that problem. You're right. You're absolutely right. Every Just, entrepreneur, like they, oh, I gotta have a business plan, a marketing plan. I gotta figure out where my office is gonna be. You know what? You're so right because I had that same dilemma. It's one of the reasons I didn't start a lot of things I wanted to start because I was so. I had to have everything, all my ducks aligned, but you're right. If you're passionate about something, you just jump into it and start doing it. All that stuff kind of comes together on its own. Yeah. And, and, and the yeah. thing is, is that it's almost, a, if it, doing work too soon, is unnecessary is almost fake work. And so it's like a lot of times yeah. a new founder will want to spend three months securing the trademark or something like that. And it's like, you, you haven't made a thousand dollars of revenue. The trademark doesn't matter. <laughs> Let's let's yeah. let's go hustle up twenty customers and let's learn from that feedback. And then if that works, then maybe we we spent ten grand on the trademark. And this is a mistake I see made over and over again. And I've made the mistake too. And it's, and it's you really have to look at it like, okay, there's ten levels. What do those levels look like? What level am I on? And let's not worry about anything else until we get through this level. That's such an amazing approach too. And sorry for interrupting earlier. I, you know, I get really excited when we talk about video games. I think, <laughs> I think both of us probably have that in common. You're right. We probably, if we went to an arcade, our, our wives would have to like literally drag us out by our ears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I love that approach because you're right. Some, some people overthink everything that they want to do instead of, instead of just jump right in. And I think it's such a great methodology. Um, I'm going to have to tweet that later. I think that's, that's such a cool thing. I think for the, the industry and all entrepreneurs to think about is, you know, start, just start with level one, master right. level one, you know, and then, and then move on to level two, stop trying to plan ahead for level 10. And, and I'm, I'm sure at some point during the year, you're going to take a break and you're going to start thinking about and envisioning things that you want to do, write those things down. You don't have to act on them yet, but write them down so they don't go anywhere. And then as things start to come together and you're like, Hey, let's, let's start planning for the next year for the next round. You know, then you start getting into some of the, the smaller things that will improve you know, what you did in that first round. That's right. I love that. That's such a great and, approach. And this, this stuff seems obvious, but when you're kind of in it, you, it's easy to get sidetracked and it's easy to get the bright, shiny object syndrome. And you really just got to focus on one or two things at a time, get through the level the and the next thing. <laughs> so here's something else you said that stood out to me was success is a lousy teacher. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I think uh, success can make you think that you're smart. And it can make you think that you know it all and it can make you believe that that you have all the answers mm -hmm. and it can also cause you to stop you know, doing the hard work of innovation. And it can right. it can really uh, slow your progress in a weird way. And and I've been guilty of this where, you know, we'll have a couple, you know, I've had a couple of good quarters and and we and we kind of like turn our, you know, we we, we, keep, we let keep we let our focus get like turned towards something else. that doesn't necessarily matter. And when, in fact, we needed to really double down on the things that were working. And, and so success, you got to be careful because it can almost it can almost be counterproductive. And yeah. in fact, I heard a quote the other day that like good times breed weak men, weak men mm -hmm. breed bad times, bad times breed strong men, strong, strong men make good times. And so in a weird like way, Star Wars almost. yeah, in a weird way, that's what business is like. You know, if, if it's going really good, it's hard to keep that flywheel going because it's like necessity is the mother of invention and you kind of lose that necessity a little bit and it, it can cause you to lose your edge. And, and I've had that happen. It's true. You you feel the roller coaster of, of entrepreneurialism. You 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 think you've you've hit this this amazing point and then something happens, you know, like you're being tested 
um, you know, a client goes away, a, um, there's a, a lawsuit or something. Fortunately, that's never happened to us, but I've seen it happen to other entrepreneurs. Um, you're, you have a business partner and they split up and the business partner has a better lawyer. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, there's, there's all sorts of those fun scenarios that happen. So I've, I've always tried to, I've always tried to not look at where I am at any given moment as success. Yeah. You know, I, I celebrate the little wins for sure. You know, if I, you know, when I, when I you know, bring my mom up to the office, she's just like, look at the success you've had. You're, you've written a, written a textbook for, for colleges who have an online program. You've, um, you're teaching at all these different universities. You've got these amazing nine team members on your team. You've achieved success. And I'm like, mom, those are all just steps in my journey. They're just right. part of, you know, where I'm going. And tomorrow it could all fall apart. And um, and that's okay. Because if it, if it does, um, I'm still going to be passionate about what I do. I'm going to be innovative. I'm going to bring myself up to, you know, to, um, you know, to where I need to be. And, but yeah, having that success mindset, um, you're right. It could be, it could be really detrimental. Instead, you just look at every, all the little wins when you have them, you celebrate them, and then you move on to the next, um, you know, the next goal, the next achievement. But I think if you look at it as a, as a destination, yeah, you're right. You're, you're setting yourself up, you know, for failure because then you're going to be like, I'm, I'm done. I did it. And then the next day, life's going to smack you, right? Yeah, it's like, it's like <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Bezos says in every shareholder letter, like, it's still day one. It is literally uh-huh. still day one. And, you know, even building GreenPal from zero customers and now several hundred thousand and eight figures, you know, it still feels like day one. We have a long way. To, you know, we want to get to nine figures. So we got a long way to go. Uh, so, it, so it's important to, for it to, to yeah, celebrate the small little victories because that helps you manage your psychology along the way. But mm-hmm. it also can help you to have that mentality of it is still day one. We have a long way to go. Yep. Well, we're going to ask something on, on one of my favorite topics around marketing and digital marketing. We noted some of your frustration with paid advertising in your CBS interview last year saying you keep getting squeezed further and further down the search results page. As a startup, you don't have a million dollar advertising budget. Um, we know many can relate. So what's your approach to digital advertising and uh, paid Google ads for startups? Yeah, I, f- I think if you have a super unique high margin, high ticket product, you can, you can unlock it and make it work and just pour gas on it and, and, and maybe build a business solely on paid traffic. But the reality is, is I think, I think paid traffic needs to be looked at as an accelerator of something that's already working. So at its core, maybe you have some sort of distribution channel that's more organic in nature where you're not having to pay for every click, pay for every eyeball. That could be content marketing. That could be organic search. That could be, that could be YouTube. That could be, you know, any, any sort of uh, type of thing where you're, you're, you're organically acquiring attention and eyeballs and, and clicks. And then the paid can kind of be the cherry on top. It's really hard to build a business from zero solely on paid traffic. Because right. at a certain point in time, the money's going to stop and, you know, investors aren't going to continue to fund that sort of thing. And, and, and then you're left holding the bag and you've got all this burn and, 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 and no longer do you, do you have the, the flywheel running because you don't have money to put in it. So I, I, I think that can be a trap that a lot of, a lot of new founders uh, fall into. And I read a stat somewhere, it's something like 60 or 70 percent of all venture capital goes back into three buckets. Google, Amazon, and Facebook, and, yep, and like, it literally just goes all right back to them. And and so and so while these are great distribution platforms, and thank God they exist because they really do unlock opportunities to put products in people's hands. 
On the other hand, it can be kind of like a, uh, it's kind of like you ever see the bodybuilder that gets on steroids and you know they're on steroids and the minute they stop taking steroids, like they just deflate. It's kind of like that. You know, it's, it's, it's really, I've, I've read, I've read all the books. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's literally just like that. And, and, uh, and so the minute they, the minute you get off the, 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 the growth hormone of, of paid traffic, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard. It's hard to replace it. And it's hard to kind of reinvent the business. You know, the other thing is, is like in the early days, you're going to be good at maybe one channel, not, you know, maybe two. But it's, it's so if you like optimize your business around paid traffic, it's really hard to go back and, and retroactively build in like an organic strategy because to be good at, 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 at content marketing and organic strategy, it really is a bet the company decision. It is the company's core competency to create this type of, of content. So my advice is, is to, is to lay off paid traffic if at all possible, or make it less than 10% of your overall new sales, because it can lead you down a, a scary path. I love that. You know, there's something I've been working on. Um, I call it the, the tactic utilization table and it's an Excel document. That's got a column for each of the different digital marketing things that you could be doing, right? Affiliate marketing, um, your earning links, uh, you've got your uh, paid search traffic through Google, paid through Bing, paid through uh, programmatic, your display network targeting, right? You've got all those different columns and you go to an expert in each of those areas and you have them kind of help you do an audit and give you a score like one to 10. And then you look at the the end of this, this, you know, this first row and you're like, all right, how am I, how am I doing across all the different marketing channels? How utilized am I across all the different things I could be doing? Right. And you're right. In many cases, a lot of people put everything just in Google paid and all the other channels kind of get neglected. Yeah. So, uh, so it makes sense. Spread, spread your, you know, your, your, your budget out a little bit. And I think you can find, like you said, in YouTube, I've seen one cent cost per views in YouTube. You could create a really engaging, um, you know, helpful video you know, that helps build brand awareness. And then when they, when they visit the website, or if they've, if they've subscribed to the YouTube channel, you can retarget them and bring them into the lower part of the sales funnel. You don't, you don't need to start right out with those super competitive words. If you are doing Google ads. And I think, I think another challenge businesses have with paying advertising is they always want to be number one. It's like, I've, um, I'm not getting very much display on Google unless I up my bids don't up your bids. If you don't want to go over what you're willing to spend, um, let right. it let it be slow and then right. learn from the data when when things do happen. Look from the look at your search query reports to see what words you can incorporate into your organic strategy. Look at your placement reports and see where you're getting some some good qualified referral traffic from some of these sites and build relationships with them to get more, you know, organic. I think I think if you use paid as a as a means to to augment your other strategies, your affiliate partnerships, your um, your link building, your keyword strategy, um, it can play really well, but you don't have to, you don't have to spend a lot of money to do it. And it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be number one. Like you said, I think, I think you're right. A lot of the, a lot of the time it's my cost per acquisition is where I'm break even, but I look at the lifetime value of a customer and it's still profitable for me. But it's like, but couldn't you be getting a lot of that organically? Right. You know? So, uh, right. so you're right. I think, and like, like, you know, Uber figured out early on, like their, their best money was spent inside the app and referrals, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and maybe that's the best ROI, you know, it's, it's like, yeah. you don't have to be number one in, in the three pack, uh, you know, when, when you're competing for these keywords, maybe that money is better spent on an internal referral program, you know, right. and, 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 and the other thing you hit on is you got to measure and, and look at this stuff, They're, you know, most small business owners, 
just they don't know where their money's going and they just hope and hope's not hope is not a strategy right i looked at an account last week where they'd spent forty eight thousand dollars they're in the financial industry they spent forty eight thousand dollars over the last year on google ads i looked at their search term reports there's keywords in there that are just the broad keyword finance Mm. and i'm like oh my god you spent all this money and weren't even looking at your reports you just let it keep bleeding you know, and well, we didn't know what we were doing. It's like, oh my God. Oh, that's the so, worst. Yeah, you're right. And they get jaded. They Now they don't want to go back, right? Because yeah, they're like, I the, just spent all this money for nothing. Google's not going to refund you. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not going to, if you're not going to dedicate the time to learn how to do this stuff, then hire a really good agency to do it for you mm-hmm. or don't do it at all. That's my advice. Yep. Or, or, or get some training, right? Yeah. Go to, um, you know, Google has free training you can go to. There's also, um, uh, you know, courses that you can take locally. I mean, Heck, even at the junior college here, I'm teaching SEO and SEM, a one unit course each, and they get exposure to all of those different things. And, you know, it's it costs the students hardly anything because it's a community college. So this is a lot of ways I think that you could do it. But just jumping into anything blindly, hmm. that's kind of scary, especially when there's there's big dollars, you know, like uh, like with Google Ads. It's good good way to waste 50 grand like you're talking about. Oh, my God, I felt so bad. So a few years ago, you mentioned Facebook groups, especially local Facebook groups as a quick tactic to gain new customers. Can you explain how you make the most of that approach and if you still stand by that? Yeah. If you want to talk about a way to hustle up your first hundred thousand, even 10,000 customers, Facebook groups is the best way to do it. Uh, it, it, You know, if you if you are in the home remodeling business, lawn care industry like we are, if you're in, uh, you know, if you have a restaurant, if you have a contracting company, it doesn't matter what kind of business it is, you can promote that for free in in local Facebook groups and not even do it in a spammy way. Uh, A lot of times people are asking questions around, okay, hey, does anybody know of a good locksmith or does anybody know of a good uh, hairdresser? Does anybody know? And then you can just answer that. And, And so this is a way for you to, literally just get customers for free and the way i used to do it in the old days now we have a team that does this um we would just go through the whole day's posts and just control f on the page and and look for our keywords and then we would just answer hey you might want to check us out might want to check us out might want to check us out i love that and then sometimes we would also do a sponsored post with the with the with the group admin say hey you know once a month do you mind if we 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 do a post we'll we'll pay you a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks and that there's great ROI there and then taking it one step further uh, what what I have seen done we have not done this but there is a uh, there is a platform that connects uh, people with roommates and what they, what they have done is they have literally created the groups in these cities so they've created uh, you know. The, the best uh, local community group in 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 uh, St. Louis, Missouri, and and that has that they have grown to like three hundred thousand members, and then they do little sponsored posts for free because they own the group. So, if That's you amazing. if you want a way to hustle up, uh, you know your first hundred or a thousand customers, Facebook groups is a great way to do it. It's free. You don't have to spend a bunch of money doing it. It's just your time, and if you're if you're hungry enough, if you're hungry enough, you'll do it. That's amazing. I know a vitamin company uh, called Routine, and they've started communities on Facebook and on Discord. I think they were on Slack for a while, and it's the same thing. It's, it wasn't a routine community; it was a it was a health and biohacking community, and they invited experts and you know people who who are passionate about uh, different areas of health and wellness to moderate. And right. um, they they threw me in as a moderator at one point for the productivity side because they saw that I was like a 
you know, super crazy productivity guy. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it was genius because nowhere in there they ever talk about like, like routine other than when they had some events and you're like, oh, okay, now I'm getting it. But you're right. I think that's, that's a smart way to do it, especially if you're, if you're creating something that's adding value for what people are looking for. You deserve to tout yourself once in a while because you, yeah. you've created an environment for them to get the help and support and community that, you know, that they were looking for. And it's not, that. it's not spam. You're adding value. You're, you're helping, yeah. you know, especially if you're answering somebody's question, who's looking for the thing that you serve. You, you're just you're just answering their question. And I mean, the only backfired on me once, though, Ryan, I could tell you back in the day, I used to get Google alerts. And this is kind of a fun thing for lead generation. If you get a Google alert, my Google alerts were in quotes, looking for an SEO expert. Yeah. I need it. I need help with SEO. Oh, right. Little questions like that that people ask. So and it bit me because once I got into a forum after you know getting a Google alert saying, can anyone recommend an SEO expert? I jumped in, signed up for this forum, and I replied. And I'm like, hey, my name's Steve Wiedemann. I've written some information products on search. How can I help you? All right? What can I do for you? Yeah. How can I support you? And all the other SEOs in there just destroyed me. They were so like, who are you? And this is our community. And why are you taking our leads? And I'm just like, whoa, this guy needed help. I reached out. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's funny. And one, one of the guys named uh, Adam. And uh -huh. Adam is now, you know, 10 years later, he's now one of my best friends in the world. Oh, and, that's funny. But, uh, but it's so, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing to, to look back and see the kind of things that we do as entrepreneurs to grind. Those Google alerts work, by the way, maybe they not do. in the SEO industry and forums, but Google alerts kill it. Yep. Uh, and that's just a way <laughs> to hustle up your first hundred or a thousand or 10,000 customers. You don't have to go below a hundred grand on, on Facebook ads. No, not at all. Um, I really liked your article on entrepreneur.com. That's funny. Both of us got, got featured in there. I did one thing on entrepreneur years ago for a company called Fretzels and I gave them a, you know, kind of a starting plan for how to, um, how to get started with their digital business back in the day. Um, and, uh, it's fun. It's fun to help entrepreneurs and they're just such a great platform for it. But I, I liked your article because it was about the choices business owners have, like to get up before 5am or oh, you're better than me. I don't get up till like 530 and grind it out at the crack of dawn to get, um, or to get more sleep and opt for uh, productivity later in the day. Can you share your current values for sleep and how you balance that with a strong work ethic? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a spectrum in the, in the early days. You, you got to run hard. I mean, you, you got to really squeeze out every hour you can. If, if you, you have no customers, no revenue, and you got to figure out a way to get your first 100K in revenue, it's seven days a week. It's, it's 10 to 12, 13 hours a day. This has to be. And that means you're going to have to get up early. But let's say after you, uh, you know, after you get your first quarter million dollars a year, half million dollars a year in revenue, now you can pull back a little bit. Maybe you've learned how to delegate some of these things. And now you can focus more on yourself and going the long haul and running the marathon. So I think mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's both. It's not like you have to chew glass for 10 years um, and, and you have to hate life. It's, it's like, no, it's probably going to be three or four years of that. Then you get the flywheel going a little bit. Then you can kind of pull back just a little bit. That's how that's how it's played out for me. You know, the first three or four years of Green Pal, I was I was at the office at my desk every morning before seven, and I was there until seven or eight at night every night. You, you know, you know what it's like leaving the office and seeing your car being the only one out there waiting for you. Yep, right? every day. Uh -huh. every day okay. and and uh you know that's just what it takes because here's the thing in the early days and really in, in, it doesn't matter what stage of the game you're in you're, you're doing three things at once you're working in the business so you know mm -hmm. in my case you're 
You're making sure people are getting their grass cut on time. You're making sure you're, you're returning phone calls. You're, you're paying bills. You're making sure the business is running properly. Then you're working on the business. You're, you're build, building the systems. What is our marketing system? What is our customer satisfaction system? What is structure? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what for in our case, what is the code we are writing to make the system work? You're, so you're working in the business, on the business, and then you're doing a third thing. You're working on yourself. You know, like you mm-hmm. mentioned earlier, you're taking that course that Google put out. You're taking that mm-hmm. online course on Udemy or YouTube or whatever to learn uh, content marketing or user experience design or or how to build out a call center for customer support, whatever. Whatever it is, your yeah, you're yeah. working on yourself. So it's like you're doing these mm-hmm. three things at once. You got it's a seven day a week sport in the early days. It really is. It's 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 get there early and stay late until you got the flywheel going, and then you can pull back just a little bit. I love it. You know, with our team, we have um, three. Th- when we meet once a year, um, now we're trying to meet every six months. We have three things that they commit to to helping grow the business, and then three things that they commit to to helping grow themselves. And the business sponsors it. We'll pay for it if you want to I take like a course. That. Even if it has nothing to do with your job, if you want to take a course for you know video production or something, we're going to support it because we we want you to grow and we want your you know your um, value in the marketplace to grow. Like so that. um so that it's it's been fun and at IBM that's why I picked it up. They, they were called critical business commitments was what we did to you know commit to what we want to do to improve the business and um and how our uh, in our job we were going to do that. And then we had our PBCs, our personal business, uh, sorry, our IDPs, our individual development plans. And um, it's fun because, you know, you, you're you're giving back to the employees. And um, I remember I was the only one in my department at IBM that they wouldn't allow, they wouldn't pay for college. And uh, I said, this is crazy. Everyone else in my department is getting to go to school and I'm not. And the boss says, well, you're the hardest worker here. If you leave us and you will, if you get a degree, who's going <laughs> to do your job? And I'm like... I'm going to pay for this on my own and I'm yeah. going to leave. And I did it was three, three and a half years later, I got my degree and I was gone. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> they made the decision easy for you. Yeah. But Last I like that. I, I like that oh, because it's a simple thing you can do over and over and over again. I mean, a yeah. lot of these things are not difficult. They're not complicated. They're simple. They're just repeatable and, 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 and you can stay consistent with them. And I like that. I, I, I may implement that in our, in our business, uh, because I, love it. I, I got because another tip for you too. People want to be somewhere where they're growing. Uh-huh. And, that's I, and, and that's what I like about it. It's like, not only are we, are we driving the business forward, but we care about our people's growth and we show that people talk about values and it's like values are, are one thing. It's virtues. It's like, what are we doing? You know, this is what we do. We invest in our people. We, 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 we spent, we spent a hundred grand last year and people taking courses to get skills that they didn't have. So I like that I a lot. It. That's amazing. And that, that's the perfect segue to um, kind of our last question before our lightning round here. Um, and, and I'll mention, cause this folds in perfectly to another thing that we've implemented recently that might be fun for listeners in terms of, of culture. And you shared on Twitter that, if, um, if you find that you don't enjoy the culture of your company, it's time to take ownership. In your company, you have to lead by example and set the tone with your own passion and optimism. Can you give us some practical guidance of A, how you take ownership with your team, and B, how you set the tone? What kinds of conversations and interactions are you having with your team to shift the culture uh, when, that need, uh, when that needs to happen? Yeah, it's, it hit me like a ton of bricks, I guess, in year eight or nine of my first business. I was driving to the, to the office and I had this like pain in my stomach. I didn't want to go there. 
because I quite frankly didn't like a lot of the people that worked there. It was a hundred plus employee mm-hmm. people there and, and uh, it was just a bad vibe. And, and we were always like tense and anxious and, and toxic, wor- toxic. Yeah. yeah. Worried about mm-hmm. the competition, you know, people leaving and, and it was, it was just not a good place. And I thought, God, this sucks. Uh, and then I thought, well, you built this, <laughs> you know, it's like you get exactly <laughs> the culture you deserve as the founder. Uh, it reflects you, it reflects your attitude, it reflects your enthusiasm, it, it reflects your vibe, it reflects your everything. And so yeah. I, I thought, well, I gotta, you know, I gotta change this somehow. And so I really just started picking up every book I could on leadership, everything John Maxwell ever had ever written, and, and started trying to implement these things just little by little. And a lot of it was just sort of with my personality, my attitude, my enthusiasm. And rather than than uh, like getting to the office, and you know, at times I would feel I would feel overwhelmed, and I would feel uh, I would feel almost. Uh, irritated and, and, and at times scared. And, and, and rather than reflect that, you almost kind of have to internalize it and, and be stoic and yet to be a source of stability for your people. Yeah. Otherwise, they're going to reflect whatever it is that, that, that you're bringing uh, to, the, to the environment. So I had to learn that the hard way. And, and, uh, and it also had to reinvent some, like, some fun into the business. And one thing that we did was a lot of fun. We, we developed this little program where it didn't matter uh, – you know, what level of the company you were at, it didn't matter what, what position you had. Everybody could, could pitch uh, myself and, and, my fa- and my co-founder on some sort of thing that they wanted to do in their personal life. It could be like send a kid to school. It could be that they wanted to uh, uh, buy a new car, buy a new house, whatever. And then we would give an interest-free loan to finance it. And, and every quarter we picked one of these things. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and we started doing that. And so four times a year, we would, and then we upped it to once a month. And then we would check in and like weekly all hands meetings like, hey, you know, how, you know, how are things going with uh, there was one guy who was who was from Central America. And he had built a little uh, supermarket back home with the money we loaned him. And he's like, how are things going? And we would, we would he would show us pictures of it. We would put it up on like a little uh, little little uh, PowerPoint thing. That's and so so, awesome. so it was a neat way to kind of like say, OK. When the company wins, everybody wins. We care about, you know, everybody getting to where they're trying to go in life. And, and that really, that one thing really solved a lot of the other problems. And so if you can kind of tap into a little fun thing to do, it doesn't have to be something like that big. It can be something that's hundreds of dollars. Just something that's mm-hmm. fun and, and, and just repeatable. And it's something that you do not skip. You do it once a month or once a quarter. And it's like clockwork. That can help take care of a lot of the other things. It's one thing that I learned doing that. That is so much better than what we do. We have some cool things too. We have like our annual Disneyland trip. There's only nine of us. So we take our families to Disneyland. Uh, we're 10 minutes away. So it's not a big awesome. deal. But that's only once a year. Yeah. And then we do our little award ceremony and stuff. And that's always fun. We get our team picture on the little um, Guardians of the Galaxy drop ride, which is, you know, always ridiculously silly. <laughs> nice. The other thing we do is um, an accountability program. So rather than, there's no managers here. There's no leaders. There's no... Um, or uh, not leaders, but there's no, there's no supervisors. No bosses. So what we do is, yeah, we, we have, we have accountability buddies, right. And, and, and I've always offered, do you want to rotate? You know, I do an anonymous survey. Do you guys want to rotate your, your accountability buddies? Um, and then what we do is we hold each other accountable to the things that we, you know, commit to do for the week. Here are the, here are the three big things I want to get accomplished this week. And our accountability buddy 
Um, you know, and it doesn't have to be somebody at, at your level. It could be someone lower or higher or whatever. I like we'll that. check up on you. How are you doing? How are you doing with those three things? You know, um, do you need some help? Do you need, do you want to escalate to, you know, to one of the other team members to see if we can get some support. So we're, we're supporting each other, um, and keeping each other accountable to the things that are on our list yeah. so that nobody sort of falls to the wayside. There's always someone there to help you and take care of you. And then you have somebody else who you're taking care of. And that's been, that's been a really fun program because then, then we don't have to pay for supervisors and yeah. directors and managers. And they love that because now they're not micromanaged. Now they're helping each other. A lot of yeah. things kind of take care of themselves when you solve them <laughs> at, at like that root cause. I don't, accountability is everything, but nobody wants a boss. So maybe, maybe you figured out the happy medium. I have, and, and we are a little bit of a different environment too. There's, there's, you know, a lot of us are from corporate, you know, backgrounds and we're, we're in that sort of professional field, but, uh, is was the other thing we did is a wellness program, uh, using an app called Levelhead. Okay. still kind of new, but, um, yep, it's called Levelhead, and you have to kind of apply to be part of their program. Um, Sandra and Sue over there who, who kind of run the program, um, they created this app and it gives you little one to three minute um, exercises that you can do one to relax and to, and to de-stress how to handle certain situations. Um, and then you run a little competitions, you know, and those people who get through certain tracks and all these little one to two minute little um, snippets get prizes every month. So I, we're, I like we're giving good, away. A, I like a little bit of fun that. competition. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so my lightning round questions, I know we, my, we went way over what we were going to, but that's okay. I've, I've had a good time. <laughs> um, so lightning round questions. Number one, your best tip for young people thinking of going out on their own and bypassing the whole work from someone uh, work with somebody else scenario. Uh, yeah, tip or, or maybe just advice. I think, I think a lot of, uh, so-called so gurus these days will have young people believe that your twenties are for a period of like finding yourself and maybe Vaynerchuk. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Maybe him. Uh, yeah. But he's not the only one. Like everybody's, everybody's espousing this belief that you're, it's okay to not get anything done in your twenties, essentially. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, even Gary Vaynerchuk worked his butt off in his twenties. I mean, like, uh, it's so, your 20s, in my view, are a decade to get on first base and build mm -hmm. some kind of foundation. And maybe that's, you know, a business with three or four employees or a business with a million in revenue or a business that you've sold it for half a million or a million. So where now in your 30s, you maybe you can swing for a double or a triple or a home run. It's really hard to start from zero in your 30s and 40s. And, and so my advice to everybody in their 20s is listening to this is like, be scared. Uh, be scared at waking up at 35 and then having to start from scratch. Like, don't let that be you. Um, really focus on, on one really good mission, really good idea, and just work your, work your butt off to make it happen. And, and that means it just, there's, you're not going to be able to go to all the parties. It means you're not going to be, you're going to miss out on some social stuff. It means you're not going to have the, 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 the nice clothes. And, and the other thing is, it's like the least you can live on, the greater your options, especially in your, in your 20s. So, so much of like kids, you know, not say kids, but younger people in their 20s, 30s these days, like they spend insane amounts of money on stuff that doesn't matter. And, and, and it's like, I don't know where our culture got so sideways on this, but, but if you would just take the thousand dollars you spent on like 
like that outfit and like literally put it into like a course on how to, how to build a business, you know, you'll never, you'll, you'll they'll never catch it. And and so yeah, you'll, you'll buy those clothes on interest in 20 years. Right. <laughs> right. And the other thing is like, you literally think like Warren Buffett uh, in terms of like Warren Buffett used to always say, I don't look at a hundred dollars, like a hundred dollars. I look at it like it's $10,000 because that's what it eventually it will become. So these are all things like beating your head in your twenties and then maybe you can retire at, you know, 32, like I did, or, or at 40 or four 45, you know, that's the goal, man. And so like, that's, that's my advice to anybody in the twenties listening to this. That's amazing. What are your favorite online tools that you use to run your business and especially your digital marketing? Um, I really, I like, it's not necessarily a tool, but it's a platform. I like Upwork. It's a great way to get, get connected with, with, uh, good freelancers. Uh, so that's a, that's a platform and a tool that I use the hell out of. I love Trello in terms of the visualization of, of the Kanban chart. And getting stuff done. Man, I get so much done with, with that simple free tool. Um, AB testing. I like Google optimize. Uh, it's a free AB testing uh, suite. Uh, we, I've learned so much from, from AB testing, Google optimize for SEO. I like Ahrefs and, uh, okay. and SEM rush. Um, if you had to choose between those two, what's your favorite? It's tough because they both are good at one thing. Um, yeah. you know, Ahrefs really is good at links and some other stuff. And SEM rush is, 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 is pretty much good at everything else. I probably would can SEM rush and go with Ahrefs because links are just that important. So, uh, and I could probably list another twenty tools if you wanted to hear them. I could, all I got to do is look at my browsers. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah, finally, finally got my uh, my toolbar organized in a way where I've got folders now and analytics tools all nice and organized. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Point. What a world we live in these days. <laughs> yep. All right, mistakes you've learned in business on your journey. So, for those people who are about to you know, go out and be an entrepreneur and start their own, you know, lawn mowing business and get a couple employees under them. What are some things to avoid? And, you know, that's um, that you could teach them so that they don't have to go through that same hell that uh, that we went through in our early days as entrepreneurs. Yeah. Scaling and delegating too soon and then scaling and delegating uh, too late. Uh, so okay. that might sound, you know, it might sound like nebulous, but the thing is, it's like a lot of times we want to like delegate too soon. And we want to scale too quickly. Like I, I coached a, a, an entrepreneur the other day. He's like, hey, you know, I understand you had a landscaping company and I've got this car washing business and I want to yeah. I want to scale it. And, uh, and I'm like, OK. He's like, how do I do that? And I'm like, OK, well, what, what, what were what were what were sales last month and last year? Well, I don't really know. Okay, what do you mean you don't know? <laughs> well, it's kind of like this all goes in my bank account. I just spend it. I'm like, okay, well, the first wow. thing we need to do is we need to. So, like, and I'm not beating up on this guy. Like, I, I, I've been there too. And so, sure. it's like you gotta, you gotta like nail it then scale. So you kind of have to yeah. think of yourself as an employee. You said that that twice. I love that. Yeah, nail it then scale it. You really that's, do. That's my next little tweet. I'm about to do. Got to get it right at the <laughs> fundamentals and the core, like the unit economics, and understand. Yeah what it is you're selling and, and what your margin is on that unit. And in his, in his case, he's selling labor hours, cleaning cars. And, and if he can understand what it costs to produce that labor hour, what he could sell it for, mm -hmm. then he can get to a place where he can maybe scale it. So, so scaling and, and delegating too soon, hiring your first employee too soon. And then um, the other side of the coin is, is, is waiting and doing that stuff too late. And I've made this mistake many times when you, it is working. And you're working 80 hours a week. You're doing everything yourself. 
And then you don't want to delegate anything because you're worried somebody else is going to screw it up and they don't know how to do it your way. No one ever does it as good as we do, Brian. Right, <laughs> right. And then, so, the, the, so, and in reality, it's harder work to come in on a Sunday and like set out the role and the goals and like the, the standard operating procedures. And so you just do it the old way and you never get ahead. And so I've done that the wrong way also. So scaling and delegating too soon and then scaling and delegating too late. Those are mistakes that I've made and that you got to be aware of if, if you're committing any of those errors. Sure. Well, aside from sharing your incredible brand, is there anything you'd like to share with listeners and how um, how they can connect with you and, and the business or get started? Yeah, yeah. Anybody listening to this doesn't want to waste time cutting your own yard. You just download GreenPal in the App Store or Play Store. And then anybody who wants to reach me, uh, most of my social media is, is on Instagram. So you can just hit me up at Brian M. Clayton. Drop me a follow and a DM there. I'll hit you back. Brian, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your your journey. And I think we've we've unbottlenecked the uh, the challenge of starting from nothing to growing. You know, what was a three two million dollar business? That's <laughs> yeah. amazing. And congratulations on all your success. And hopefully, uh, hopefully, we can do something like this again and dig into a, a specific topic down the road. Right on. When we get to hundred mil, I'll come back on, Steve. I love it. Thanks, <laughs> Brian. We'll talk soon. Thank you. 